Hey everyone, welcome to the Being Patient Podcast. I'm Deborah Kahn, founder of Being Patient. When my mom was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease, I decided to use my skills as a journalist in a different way. Frustrated by the lack of information on science and the inability to get different expert opinions, I decided to quit my job at the Wall Street Journal to create a better platform for people impacted by dementia. We are a community where news and information is created by our team of journalists. We ask tough questions and we simplify the science so that anyone can understand. We don't only cover disease, but delve into the latest research on what it takes to keep our brains healthy. We invite the experts and ask your questions. Here's today's podcast. I hope you enjoy it. Okay. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Being Patient Brain Talks. I'm Deborah Khan, founder of Being Patient. Well, we are on the cusp of the holiday season, and a lot of us um, get anxiety, I know, over the holidays, thinking about how do we incorporate our loved ones, make sure that they're okay, lessen anxiety. So we thought we'd take a deep dive into it today um, with Dr. Alexis Eastman. She's a clinical associate professor at the University of Wisconsin. Thanks very much for joining us, Alexis. Great. I'm so glad I can be here. You're right. This is a high stress time for a lot of people. So worth the preparation in advance. Completely. Okay. So let's kind of divide it up. Like let's, let's talk about, I know that you have some research on traveling and, and things like that, but let's just talk about preparing for the holidays. Um, I can speak from my own personal experience with my mom who is now in a later stage of Alzheimer's. And, you know, honestly, I'm nervous for her because I know a lot, a big crowd makes her really anxious, but when we get our family together, you know, we're 20 people or so. So what, how can I prepare better for, you know, Thanksgiving dinner that's coming? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, one of the things that happens in Alzheimer's is that the brain really is struggling to just kind of put everything together in some coherent order. And so it does not tolerate chaos or changes or just too much information coming at it all at once. So I think you're absolutely right to say, oh gosh, my mom is going to really struggle with this because I, I think that's very true. So you have to, unfortunately, it requires a lot of advanced planning, right? And you have to say, okay, how do we, despite the fact that there's 20 of us and we all love each other and we're just going to be all over the place, keep this as simple and meaningful as possible. And so this is not the year, perhaps, to pull out the brand new recipe spread from the internet that you're going to try on the magical, like whatever brined turkey. That, that's not this year, right? You're going to say, okay, what are the meaningful dishes we've always made? Can somebody else be in charge of some of that so I can focus on mom? Where is the quiet space in the house that mom can take breaks in? Who's going to be assigned to be in charge of breaks? Right? Who's going to help monitor mom and help her get to a little room for a timeout? How do we minimize chaos? You know, can we say no, no, lot, not lots of lights, not lots of chords, not lots of music, right? The people will be sufficient, you know, to the best extent possible. Keeping things as simple and sort of straightforward as you can can be the best way to keep someone safe and feel comfortable and enjoy the people that they love. I mean, I really hate to say this because it's sad, um, but, you know, I've, I've asked myself if, I mean, we, we wouldn't 
not include her. But I've actually asked myself, should we do this without her and maybe do a smaller thing with her? Because, you know, I think that you're facing a lot of different things here. Like you're entertaining and then, mm -hmm. you know, mom's in the corner and kind of having a really hard time following conversation and getting frustrated and also having a hard time speaking and conveying her, her speech, right? And her thoughts. So, you know, it's, we're at a stage now where she'll often bang on things because she can't say, wait, listen to me. And, you know, it, it becomes a very disruptive cycle. So, yeah. you know, so what, what would you say to people like me who are facing this type of thing is, you know, I guess what I'm asking is we can deal with the banging. That's not a big deal. Right. But what I'm worried about is she's getting really anxious and this is actually a, not a good environment for her. Yeah, I think the one thing to acknowledge in all of this is that there are no good decisions. There's only good enough decisions, right? And and you have to be forgiving of yourself to say, it is what it is and I'm going to do the best with what I can. So if that means for your family, there's a small ceremony and the larger one is without her, that's what works for your family. For other families, uh, it may be, okay, we've got this many teenagers who are coming, each of them is going to be in a shift to hang out with grandma. And we're going to put them in a quiet corner with some structured activities, going over old photos or singing songs together, or just asking stories about her life. And that's going to keep her occupied and keep her included and give her that chance to interface with the younger generation. Sometimes that works for people. Sometimes they don't have those people to assign. It's probably not something you want the five-year-old to do, for example. Right, but the 15-year-old might be a good person. So it's 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 whatever works in in your family. And if your mom is not able to enjoy the, the opportunity of seeing each other, then you shouldn't force her to. Yeah, and but I love that idea actually of having, I mean, I have teenage up to grown kids in their early 20s, right? And you know, there's there's cousins and everything. I love that idea because you know, I feel like in this later stage of Alzheimer's, one of my mom's frustrations is she wants to interact, but she's losing words. And so it's frustrating because she can't get her words out, but she wants to be present. So I love that idea of having, you know, her somewhere a little bit quieter where the kids rotate because she loves her grandkids. And even if she doesn't remember exactly who she, who they are, she knows there's a connection there, you know? And so holding on to those connections, I do believe is really important. And it can be really meaningful for the grandkids. This is their big chance. And if there's, we in my family have these, all these photographs, right? These photo albums and half the people are long gone and I have no idea who they are, but grandma still knows. And so sitting down with her and saying like, well, who's that? A lot of times that may or may not come back and she may make up a story to explain the photograph. That's also okay because it's fun. Right. So tell, tell us what other things come up during the holidays, um, uh, you know, celebrating with a loved one. And, you know, just to be clear, we're obviously talking about people who are maybe in a later stage of dementia. You know, there's still people who have a diagnosis who are independent and very capable. Um, mm -hmm. But I think now we're talking about when behavioral um, uh, decline or symptoms happens, you know, how, how do you manage that? So what other types of things are we talking about specifically um, through your uh, research and University of Wisconsin's research? 
Yeah, I think the one thing we always have to think about is safety, right? Because you as caregiver are, are entertaining as well as organizing. You can't keep track of all the potential hazards in the house, especially if you're not at your own house. Uh, and so you want to make sure that there's not unattended candles or ovens or fire grates that can be easily moved or left on, something that someone could burn themselves on. You don't want a lot of tripping hazards. Like the worst thing that can happen at a holiday is someone trips over the lights to something and breaks a hip, right? That That's a terrible thing that happens. So I think that's one thing to think about. And no, not, not a lot of flashing lights, like blinking lights and like bright tinsel and singing statues of stuff. Not really very good because that in, engenders more anxiety. So it really is about keeping decor very simple, keeping the space very simple, which saves you a lot of decorating time, frankly. So that's one less stress for the caregiver. But also having, an, as I, we talked about, uh, you know, that quiet off in the corner, but also a quiet nap place, right? Because you get really tired when you have to think that hard just to kind of get your brain to to work. And that's exhausting. Your brain uses the vast majority of your calories in a given day. And having a nap space is a great thing to have in a house. So setting that aside is really important too. I mean, one of the things we talked about a little bit earlier is including other people, right? Um, is that the right thing to do? I mean, how do you decide with like outside the family to include friends and make this the celebration that it's always been inclusive of, you know, friends from out of town or people in town who don't have anywhere to go. Um, is that a good idea? Potentially. So I think one of the pitfalls you run into is that if someone's from out of town and they know your person, but they don't know them very well, or it's been a long time, the difference in how they've changed may be shocking. And so if you're going to do that, it can be worth sending a, um, an email ahead of time to say, hey, so glad you're coming. You may notice that mom is different than the last time you saw her. And this is what you can expect. She can still engage and enjoy these activities. And we ask you be mindful to watch out for this, right? That kind of prep preparation is, it can be very valuable. I think if someone has a loved caregiver that you want to incorporate, they can be a useful helper to both the person hosting, but also to your, par your parent, your loved one, your whoever, because that's another familiar face who's there every day, who knows the ins and outs of how your parent works. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. What about travel? I mean, we, we stopped travel a while ago. And the reason behind that was because we felt like she was getting worse. I mean, it was like totally new environment. I mean, this is a woman who's traveled around, you know, all around the world, all her life. And suddenly it just became impossible. It was just, it would accelerate in my mind symptoms, right? More confusion, um, you know, no routine. And it just, it didn't work anymore. Um, so what do you say to people who are saying, oh, I really want to go visit with, um, you know, my spouse with dementia to see the kids and it's somewhere out of town and unfamiliar. So what, how should people prepare for that type of trip? Yeah, I mean, think really long and hard about that, right? You want to think, because if you think about everything that annoys you about travel, magnify that by a hundred and think about how you may want to proceed through. And if you still say, yes, it's worth it, you got to do this trip, then you want to plan well in advance with lots of buffer time, right? 
if you have enough money and logistically possible, travel one way, no stops, no layovers, right? If you have to have a layover, make sure there's plenty of time between flights, no racing between terminals, right? Get a wheelchair service, make it easy. Don't try and walk through. Make sure that if you are going through security, tell the airline before you go, and maybe they'll get you through a little faster. Maybe they'll help kind of smooth that pathway, uh, you know, and make sure the person goes through security before you. Because if you go through first, you can't turn around and help them if something goes wrong. So they have to go through for you. It's easier for them to wait on the other side for you and you to wave than for you to be trying to go back through. So, you know, and other things like that, every little tiny detail needs to be planned in advance with the idea that everything's gonna take more time and it's gonna require more adjustment. You're gonna need to find the quietest spot in the airport to sit in. Maybe it's the meditation room or the chapel or the support pet area, which some airports have now. And you're going to want to make sure that sort of everyone along the way discreetly knows that you're traveling somewhat with someone who may need some extra time and attention. What about the airlines? I mean, are the airlines that there's so there's so many cases of dementia today. Um, is there any protocol in place to get assistance with dementia that you know of? Not as far as I know. I don't. And there may be some airlines that do a, a little bit of training for their staff. I think one of the things we've seen is that. Unfortunately, air, airline staff have really had to struggle with disruptive behavior from people without dementia <laughs> yeah, uh, over true. the past couple of years. And uh, that has been a focus because they have to focus on their own safety. So while they're all very caring and kind individuals, they, they probably are not particularly familiar unless in their own life, which is also very common, right? Many of us have a parent with dementia. Absolutely. And it's it's so common. Um, what about uh, jet lag? I, you know, what what do we know? Is, it, is there a optimal time to arrive with travel? And, you know, I mean, I know my mom's sleep has gotten really good, but it used to be terrible. Right. So like yeah. messing with those sleep patterns would be really scary to me because I think it would accept, you know, make her symptoms worse. Yeah, it's absolutely true. We don't have any good data on what the already abnormal circadian rhythm of someone with dementia does if you take them through a several time zones. But we can only imagine that it is not a good thing. you know. And, and we don't know if melatonin would help or not help. Usually when someone's traveling, I say, give yourself a couple buffer days. You know, Fly on an off day, go three, four days before anyone expects you to be there to give whoever time to catch up on their sleep if you can. Or if it's all gonna go to heck and back, you know then in advance before you end up at Christmas dinner or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the, um, I mean, I think, the, I think, it, am I too bold to say, if you don't have to travel, just don't do it. I mean, you know, it just feels like, I just felt like for my mom, it just wasn't working anymore. You know, why do it? I think it has to be a really important travel, right? You know, there, I, I think you always have to ask yourself, who am I doing this for? Yeah. Because your parent, your, your person, they are not necessarily going to remember the event, right? They are going to remember the time together and the emotion of that moment. And so if the emotion is chaos and stress and confusion, that's what's going to linger. But if the emotion is, these are my people, this is my space, I'm enjoying myself, that's what's going to linger. So you really have to weigh is this the bucket list trip that mom always talked about and by golly, we're gonna do it? Or is it, you know what? 
this is a holiday and people can come to us or we can put them on the, the large screen TV, cast them in and have a meaningful moment. I, I find it often has to do with the spouse, right? The spouse wants everything to be the same, right? Why, of course, we're going to go to Thanksgiving and of course we're going to do this, right? And it's not really about the person with dementia. And I understand that too, because I think as a spouse without dementia, caring for your loved one, of course you want to continue with tradition, right? And it would be sad to be at home alone and not celebrate these holidays. Um, so I, I do think it is it is often the spouse or the care partner who is really wanting or the person, you know, because I mean, what you said too is true. They're not going to remember the occasion, you know, which is sad. They may feel it and feel happy for the moment, but but they're not going to remember it. Yeah, there's really interesting data out there. Um, I think from oh someone in California uh, that if you can make someone with dementia, moderate to severe dementia, feel good, that emotion will linger for up to 24 hours later, even if they don't remember exactly what happened. Wow. Right? And in, in my practice, that leads to me telling a lot of corny jokes in the clinic, right? Because then they're excited to come to the doctor and that's cool. But in life, that means you should really focus on what that, that meaningful event is. Uh, but I do feel for spouses, because if you think about every time you make a decision like that, it is a moment of grief, Yeah. you know, and it's a moment in which that person is drifting further away from you and you have to grieve the loss of the relationship that you've always had. And that added to the meaning and impact of the holidays for a lot of people is really challenging and it's very difficult. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, um, Alexis Eastman, for your insights. Um, is there a place where people can go on the University of Wisconsin website to get more information about spending holidays and celebrating holidays? I'm going to put a plug in for one of my friends who I, uh, Nate Chin, Dr. Chin, C-H-I-N. We know Nate. We've interviewed him. No. He's wonderful. Yeah. Nate's lovely. He does something called uh, Dementia Matters, which is a podcast and the holiday um, information is on there. We did a little show years ago, and that still holds good. And, and usually the uh, Alzheimer's and Dementia Research Center at the University of Wisconsin is the best place to go. Okay, well, we will, we will, Katie will um, plug the, um, uh, she will um, plug the site and we'll put it on the comments. But thank you so much for joining us and sharing your insights. If you've missed any of this interview or you want to see it, um, call, uh, go to beingpatient.com. I always say this, sign up for our newsletters because that's where we post talks like these. Thanks very much for our guests, uh, to our guests, and we're wishing everyone a great and safe, happy holiday season. Thanks a lot. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. For more information on upcoming interviews, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter at beingpatient.com. That's B-E-I-N-G-P-A-T-I-E-N-T.com. And send us any feedback you may have, whether it's someone you want us to interview or any comment about our podcast series. You can do so by emailing info at beingpatient.com. Thanks for listening, everyone. I'm Deborah Kahn.